Welcome to the New Books Network. One night, a bunch of us were sitting around talking the way you do after eating a good meal, drinking wine, but winding down. We had all just returned from driving children to college. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Mary Salisbury about her debut story collection, Side Effects of Wanting. The stories are filled with middle-aged adults whose lives didn't turn out the way they'd expected, people having affairs, young folks seeking their paths, and others trying to figure out who they are and their place in the world. Hi, Mary. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thank you for having me. So how did you decide to write this book? Well, I'd been writing short stories for over 20 years, just because I love to read and I was reading short stories a lot. I worked part-time in my local library and kind of around my children's schedule. So I got to come home with piles of books and I just thought it would be fun to try to write a short story. I'd written poems all my life, but this was going to be new to me. So I just started to write, read some of the greats, you know, William Trevor, V.S. Pritchett, Alice Monroe, many others. And I just thought, I'm just going to try this. And I wasn't in any kind of a class. I wasn't, I didn't have to turn the story in. So no one was going to look at it except me. And I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun doing it. And then um, I went to my first writing workshop in 2005 with a man that runs Narrative Magazine. Tom Jenks is his name. And this was up in Seattle. and I went in with my stories and no one had ever looked at them before. And he, when he was doing my evaluation, said some very positive things that just encouraged me quite a bit. And so then I started to look around for low residency programs so I could go back to school. I was a nurse up until then. I'd been an intensive care nurse. And I thought, okay, I'd love to go get a degree in writing. So I found a low residency program in Oregon where I live. And then I went there with my stories and learned from other great writers and mentors. Mm. Interesting. So let's get right into delve into the stories. You have a few themes that I noticed. The first one I want to talk about is safety. Claire, One of your characters says she has a grudge against people who know that they're safe and their lives are protected. And then in um, characters in Crossed Over, Back Over, no, Crossed Back Over and The Headhunter are concerned about feeling safe. Can you say more about that? I do think that's a common feeling in my characters that they, they are not quite who they expected to be, the adults in the stories. They, they hoped that they had they would have been a better person or that they would have become something more than they are as they get to their middle-aged years. And um, they just want some sort of security and safety because they just haven't felt as if they had ever been taken care of in that way, especially with Claire, the young girl who's being driven to college by her brother. Um, you know, and she gets to college and she sees that everyone else is being dropped off by their parents. And so she begins to realize that, that it isn't normal, that she isn't 
surrounded by that same sense of security. So I think that is just one of their yearnings is to feel safe. Another theme I noticed was uh, people struggling in life and uh, several couples are struggling, but the older couple and ground level are actually having to cut back on food and have no money. And it's such a sad story. Where did it come from? That one was written um, back around 2008, 2009, when the whole country was going through that financial crisis. And a lot of it was based on people that I actually knew, and even some elements taken from the reality of my job and my husband's job. At that point, I was working in the um, elementary schools as a teacher's aide because I wanted to do something part-time. I had just finished, or I was in my writing program, so I wanted a part-time job, and my husband was a carpenter at the time. And so some of those facts were just very real that I could get to right away that things were very close, and a lot of our friends were having trouble, especially the the carpenters that my husband worked with. They were having trouble getting bids, and it was, you know, there'd be a bid on a house, and everyone would come out of the woodwork and try to get that job. It was a hard time. And where I lived in rural Oregon, you could see this every day. You could see in people the struggle every day. Hmm. Another theme is uncertainty. Uh, Like in Remembering Carlos, it's told by a nurse about a worker whose life changes in a moment. And she points out Uh, and I quote you on this, there was fate, there was disaster, and there was uncertainty everywhere. How does that manifest for you, Mary? I think the character in that story is probably the most like me, because I really was an ICU nurse, and I really was working from the age of, well, early 20s, when I first became a nurse. And so I would see all sorts of people come into the ICU. And some of them would be, you know, relatively straightforward cases where people would get better and then they would leave. But many times they weren't. And I just didn't realize it at the time because I was busy working and being a good nurse. But it came to me later, many years later. And when I wrote that story, I went to the hospital where I used to work and I parked in the parking lot and I angled my car so that it pointed out towards the house that I remembered always seeing out of the ICU window in one of the patient's rooms. And so I parked my car and just stared at that house. And then that story just kind of poured out of me as a rough draft. And it was based on a, just a combination of many different people and patients that I took care of. And so it's not based on anything factual, it's fictionalized, but all of the parts about being a nurse, I knew from my own experience about being a nurse and what it felt like. Sometimes you do just feel so helpless if there is nothing that can be done. Yeah. I want to know if golf and basketball were important in your lives because it's mentioned several times. David is a middle-aged high school basketball coach who loves being part of the kid's life, and it feels even more important to him than meeting a woman. Can you say more about that? Yes, I did go to lots of sporting events. All of our children played um, baseball, basketball, soccer, and golf. And so I went to all of those events. And then I did interview um, a basketball coach and a football coach 
for my stories. And then I also attended a lot of basketball practices where I was allowed to sit on the sidelines and watch the whole practice play out. And I was able to go because my son played baseball. So I went to all of his baseball games and I would sit right behind the uh, batter's mound area and just observe everything around me. And again, it's based on a mixture of people and coaches. So it's not a particular person, but when you write fiction, you know, you just kind of let all these things mix around and stew inside of you. And then it just comes out as these characters. And part of it are just things that I observed happening. I could see how certain kids were treated differently because maybe the coach knew their dad or maybe their older brother had played and had been a big all-star. And then my two daughters, they also played sports. And so I just, I just saw a lot of different things happening. At least three stories are about very lonely people. John and Rebecca are getting older. Uh, Tom thinks of his ex-wife, Mona, and then he has an affair and moves in with someone else. He's always, and she says he's always at the center of his own world. Um, And then also people used to, the couple sleep in separate rooms. So why is there so much loneliness here? Well, I think, again, I spent 40 years living in a small town in Southern Oregon and a good part of that time as a nurse before I was home with my children and then in the library. So I saw a big range of people. And especially when you're a nurse, you realize quickly that people aren't as happy go lucky as they might seem on the outside. You know, we all kind of, you know, have those cliches like put on a brave face, but people are, people are struggling. And I remember a really good friend of mine that worked in the ICU with me one day said, you know, it takes a swear word that I'm not going to say it. It takes a blank hero to get out of bed every day and just put their feet on the floor. And that just always stuck with me. And it's true. And I just saw, I wouldn't always describe it as loneliness, though there is that, but just this incredible courage in everyday people for getting up and facing whatever they had to face that day, whether it's taking care of their parents who are getting older, they are taking care of a spouse who's ill, or they have, you know, a job that they can't count on. I just saw. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. A lot of these stories are about courage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You just saw something? Well, I just saw how brave people are. I guess that's the thing I took away is um, I think in general, I'm an optimist and I do think people are doing their best. I think most people are just doing their best and everybody screws up and people make mistakes and everyone seems to just be trying to get to this person that they want to be, but none of us are really ever going to get there. So it's this longing for, it's this yearning and it's almost an impossible task because none of us are ever going to be that perfect person. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people making mistakes, but one I thought must've been so much fun for you to write Val and Hollis, she's pregnant. He didn't react properly. 
and she realizes it's just her and her son, and she's just so um, wild. Tell me how fun that was to write about her. That was a lot of fun to write. And again, it was based somewhat on real elements of places where I worked and I was volunteering in a community center at the time. And so I saw a lot of different characters and little things like Hollis riding around on that floor cleaner. I saw that happen with someone in real life. And I just, I would always carry a little notebook with me. My kids used to tease me all the time because I always had little notebooks with me and I would just write these things down. So if I saw somebody do something like that, I would just write it down in my notebook. Or if I heard a scrap of conversation that I thought was really just intriguing and, you know, you wouldn't hear the whole conversation. So I would write down these things people said and a good chunk of my dialogue comes from these types of overheard. It's not like you're spying, but you might be sitting next to somebody in a coffee shop or you're sitting next to somebody on the bleachers at a basketball game and you just hear people say things and it can only be maybe three sentences back and forth that they're speaking among themselves, but it just can set you off with imagination. And I would take those little scraps of dialogue and then just make up these stories based on that. Mm. And then that story was a lot of fun to write. And then Wait, Bob so- and I, my <laughs> husband and I really did go to that Bob Dylan concert that's in that story. Ah, so did you, um, did anybody in your town ever say, Mary? That's exactly what I said. Did no. anybody catch you? On it? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. I haven't heard from anybody. No, but of course I didn't ever attribute it to them. So, Of course not. Um, so I loved this character's list. Jigs has a list of what uh, two, two columns, what he requires in a woman and what he wishes for in a woman, they're hysterical. And he's just such an unpleasant character, but he he requires that she has an income, plays golf, and makes him feel safe. And then his other column, what he wishes for romantic love, like sex, and easy on the eye. So (laughs) it's hysterical, really. And what what a character. So where'd you come up with that? Well, I find him kind of likable, even though I know he's also despicable in ways. But but he, he just really doesn't see himself as being despicable. He's just very honest that that is what he wants. But again, it's that whole yearning and longing for something that you know when you're reading that story that that's impossible. He's never going to find a woman that will meet all of those requirements. Just as, as a woman, if a woman made a checklist you would never find a man that met all those requirements. We just sometimes ask too much of our spouses or partners or husbands or wives. And so I think that was just a funny way for me to kind of riff on that tribute. I think that all humans kind of, we all have that thing of wishing and hoping or, you know, wondering what other people's relationships are like and, and nobody's getting everything on their wish list. No, but then there's Greg who says that only three women have made him uh, feel safe enough to call back for another date. And he says that, but then he gets married, he has an affair. (laughs) And it's like, what were you worried about being safe if you're going to go have affairs? Right, right. Men don't don't really come off that well in in your stories. Oh, well, 
I think it's kind of, it's men and women. There are women in there too that are also behaving badly. And I think it's just, again, that search. They're wanting someone to love them. They want to feel desired. They want to feel safe. They want these things and they know they maybe shouldn't be doing the things they're doing, but it's just as it is the truth with us as, you know, our human nature is sometimes you're trying your very best, but you still don't attain what it is you're hoping, hoping for. Mm-hmm. And then there's another fun story about a young, another girl who makes a ter- terrible choice, who take, you know, really uh, gets pregnant. The guy leaves, takes up with someone else forced to do rehab, just really kind of a lost cause. Yes. Did you run into someone like that? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, I did, as I said, volunteer work. Um, And so I would see instances like this. But the part of that story for me that became the most disturbing were the adults around some of these teenagers and the adults the things they would sometimes say about these girls, like, oh, well, she's only going to ever wind up working at McDonald's or she's, you know, this or that, just kind of writing them off at such a young age. And that really disturbed me the most. And so I wanted to write a story that would show how smart this girl was. And I do think she comes across as being a very bright, not educated yet, certainly. She hasn't been given opportunities, but you can tell that she's got a lot going on and really has a strong personality and she loves to read. And so I loved putting that in there. And um, I just thought that it was more the adults around her that were letting her down more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite stories was the twins, the Irish twins. Mm-hmm. And the, the basis for that, something terrible happens when they're kids and the sister, Denise, pretends she never saw it. Her life is completely changed. And what the other sister realizes afterwards, as the years gone, you know, have gone by, was that Denise believed that she could pretend a bad thing hadn't happened. And it affected her entire life, not facing what really happened. Wow, I'd love to know where that came from. Again... It's just a mix. When I write fiction, I take in things that I either hear have happened to friends or things that have happened to me or things that you even hear a story about, read in in the news. And it all just kind of goes into my head and mixes around in there. And I wanted to write a story that would show the psychological tension between siblings in that way where one, because I think this happens in large families, where one sibling is kind of given the role of, okay, that's the troublemaker, and then this is the good person, and then this is the person who's going to grow up to be you know, a lawyer. And I think in big families, of which I am a member of, there's six siblings in my family, I think everyone's given a role. And you don't really realize that, of course, no one can only be that one thing, you know, the person that's going to be a great lawyer or the person who always gets in trouble. It's just not possible. And so I wanted to reflect on that and have that come out 
and be part of this story too, so that you felt, my hope as the reader, is you feel enormous sympathy for both of those sisters. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then the last story goes back to the theme of infidelity, but this one is a wild um, <laughs> meeting between the, the, the wife and the woman and the, and the, the home wrecker. And it's really kind of astonishing. So there's no way you were peeking in on that no, when that happened. That, one was, that was just me. I was, I just get so tired of when we're watching movies and we're watching things that made generally by men, maybe not anymore nowadays, but they would always show women kind of screeching at each other. And, you know, I'm going to rip your hair out and all these cliches of how women would act. And it was, it just never felt true to me. And so I wanted to just go off and pretend that none of those cliches that we've all grown up with really were necessarily going to happen, that something like what happens in this story could actually be the reality of what happened. It was just more this meeting. And these women are both in their late 50s, early 60s. And so they're, you know, they've been around the block and they're not young and and they're both very confident. And so they have this encounter, which which for me felt more true than the stereotypical kind of Hollywood male version of how women respond when they are rivals. Mm -hmm. It was. Yeah, that was. And you're right, I did, that is not something I observed. <laughs> I thought maybe you heard at the grocery store somebody talking about it. Did you hear what she did? No, no I just um, made it. Yeah. So Mary, this book uh, took 20 years. I'm wondering what's next for you? Well, I'm writing poetry now. Um, it took 20 years because in the middle of that time, my husband got very sick um, with brain cancer, and then I became his nurse and caregiver for five years. And I still wrote, but in very limited amounts. And then I took that manuscript after Bob died. And it's been four years ago. And I just worked on it and worked on it kind of as my survival mechanism for some parts. And now I'm, I've, for the last four years, I've pretty much been writing poetry, and I'm collecting enough poems to get a book together, and that will be my next project. That sounds lovely. Thank you again for joining me, Mary Salisbury. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I've enjoyed it too. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking to Mary Salisbury about her debut story collection, Side Effects of Wanting. Hope you all have a great novel to cuddle up with today and every day. Happy reading. <laughs>